0: Friends, we have so much to talk about today on this episode, the final episode of season two of Three Chords in the Truth, the Apologetics podcast. In the second half, Derek and I are going to talk about his new job, as well as the new format we're going to have on this podcast in season three, the slightly different name we're going to have in season three, and then we're going to reveal to you the new craziness we're going to have in season three to replace the toy Box Hero Tournament. But in the first half, before that, we're going to talk to our friend, Dr. Jarvis Williams, who's written a book coming up soon called Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. Now, you can't get Redemptive Kingdom Diversity yet. It's not available yet. So, in the meantime, while you're waiting for Redemptive Kingdom Diversity to come out, we want you to take a look at another book from our friend Jarvis Williams, a book entitled Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention, edited by Jarvis Williams and Kevin Jones. It's from B&H Academic. For this and many other outstanding resources from B&H Academic, go to bhacademic.com. That's bhacademic.com. Welcome to Three Chords and the Truth, the Apologetics Podcast. I'm Timothy Paul Jones. In each episode of this podcast, my friend Garrick Bailey and I tackle a topic that makes it difficult to trust the truth of the Christian faith. Along the way, we talk about music, movies, theology, and culture. To support this podcast and to receive Three Chords and the Truth merchandise, go to patreon.com slash three chords and the truth. That's chords with an H, the kind you play, not the kind you plug. Thank you so much for joining us today on Three Chords in the Truth, where we defend the faith, do justice, and dig for truth in rock and roll. Welcome to the last episode of this season for Three Chords and the Truth, the Apologetics Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have with me Jarvis Williams. Jarvis Williams is the Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the author of many books, including For Whom Did Christ Die, a commentary on Galatians, and the book that we're going to be focusing on today a forthcoming book that's entitled Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. A biblical theology of the people of God. But I also note Jarvis not simply as an outstanding professor and scholar, but also a friend, brother, fellow pastor at Sojourn Church Midtown here in Louisville, Kentucky. And so it is great to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. It's a privilege to be with you.
0: Well, we are very serious about apologetics on this podcast. It's one of the most important things to us. But there is something else that is very important to us on this particular podcast, and that is rock and roll. And so we ask every guest (laughs) this question, whether they want to be asked this question or not. And that is, if you could be part of any rock band in the entire history of rock and roll, what band would it be and what would you be doing?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I thought about this question actually a lot throughout my life. I'm a child of the 90s. So if I had to pick a genre within rock and roll, I think it would be alternative genre. I was uh, a kid who grew up with uh, friends of mine listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana and those guys. So I would like to sing with Eddie Vedder, a lead singer with Pearl Jam, and be one of those singers who would also play the guitar and crash the guitar on stage when the song is over. Uh, but also in the spirit of, of Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, I'm also a classic R&B and soul guy. So Luther Vandross mm-hmm. so is not really rock and roll, but I, I like that genre. But but in the Motown tradition, there's some rock and roll, I think, within that tradition as well.
0: You must have known that I had feelings deep enough to swim in.
2: That's when you opened up your heart and you told me to go.
1: Now, keep in mind, though, I can't sing. I neither can <laughs> sing nor play the guitar, so this is definitely a dream to the fullest extent of the term.
0: Well, tell us then, as we're thinking about uh, our backgrounds and everything like that, tell us also, how did you become a believer in Jesus Christ? How did God draw you to himself? And just describe that for our listeners so that they can get to know you in that way as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, I grew up in in Kentucky in a small town in eastern Kentucky, and it was a Bible Belt area. I heard about Jesus a lot growing up. I wasn't, however, born into a Christian home. I grew up in a home where my family members loved me, but they weren't believers. But it was around the time of my senior year in high school where a dear Christian friend of mine had a tragic car accident. She died from brain trauma after fighting for her life for about four days in the hospital. And during that period, when I was 17 years old, her pastor— at the time, who eventually became my pastor, shared the gospel with a lot of us young people who gathered around the hospital and visited our friend. And shortly after my friend died, she died in in March of 96. And in April of 96, I gave my life to Jesus. It was a long process whereby I heard the gospel and it didn't really penetrate my heart really until after she died. And then I really began to reflect upon my mortality, my sin, my need for Christ to forgive me of my sins and and the hope of the resurrection. And I gladly gave my life to Christ in April, and then shortly thereafter I was baptized and uh, became a member of of a Baptist congregation in, in Eastern Kentucky.
0: Now, we talk a lot about on this program, the authenticity, the historicity of the scriptures of Mm -hmm. the Bible. That's Mm -hmm. really a big focus on this particular program. And so as a New Testament scholar, you are very familiar with all the problems there might be with believing the New Mm -hmm. Testament. You Mm -hmm. read widely in critical scholars as well as evangelical scholars. You hear the critiques of the historicity of the New Testament, the critiques of whether the authors that are named in particular books in the New Testament really wrote those books or not all of those. With all that you know in mind, why do you still believe in this? We've heard how you came to believe in this, but after all these years of study, why do you still believe it after hearing all the critiques, all the criticisms that you've heard over the years?
1: Mm, That's a great Great question. There are many things that could be said. I think one thing I would say is is that I approach the New Testament through the eyes of of faith. I think to affirm that the propositional claims in the New Testament are actually true does require, I think, at some level, a level of faith that's a a work of the Spirit. Now, just to clarify that point, I'm well aware of the fact that there are many New Testament scholars who don't have faith— who historically can affirm certain propositional truth in the New Testament, that this actually happened or that actually happened. But I'm speaking at a much deeper level than that. Like, so, for example, why do I believe Jesus actually resurrected physically from the dead? Well, because I believe by faith that God can supernaturally raise dead people from the dead. But then secondly, at a more textual level i think you have eyewitness testimony that is significant to me i think when you look at something like first corinthians chapter 15 and uh, just keeping on the theme of the resurrection the apostle paul a first century christian who wasn't a follower of christ in the normal sense where he walked with jesus during his earthly ministry, but he was converted in an abnormal way, but he too encountered the resurrected Christ. But Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus resurrected, and there are eyewitnesses at the time he wrote 1 Corinthians who could attest to that. So I think that's a second reason why I believe is because there is an eyewitness testimony. I think also a Third reason that I think we can affirm the things that are written in the New Testament actually happen and are, are true is because there is a patristic witness that is closely connected to the era of the New Testament, the church fathers who talk about some of the events in the New Testament. But but in addition to that, there's a non-Christian early Attestation. An author like Josephus, for example, who was not a Christian, but who lived in the time frame within which some of the things that are described in the New Testament happened. And he wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem, for example, which of course Jesus predicted. He also talks about John the Baptist and the Herodian dynasty and some of the other things. But then also, I'm a biblical inerrantist. I believe in the authority of the Bible. So if I find something in the New Testament text as a Christian who believes in inerrancy that is hard to understand or complex or has alternative readings that might call into question the authenticity of what's being claimed as a biblical inerrantist i'm willing to say that i must take the bible at what it says and affirm what it says by faith and my faith needs to seek understanding and leave out the possibility that i may or may not have an answer to my question or maybe there's more evidence that will be revealed later on in my pursuit of of study. So I think at least those are some of the reasons why I affirm that what the New Testament actually says, I believe it and we should believe it, and that the New Testament is not simply the record of what faith communities believed. It's a historical attestation to what actually happened as well as what they actually believed about what happened.
0: Well, that that authority of Scripture and that Trust you have in the authority of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture, that is crystal clear all the way through this book, Hmm. Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. It is a biblical theology. That's not just the subtitle, but it really is a very biblical. Theology, And so woven all the way through that, it's very clear this deep trust above all other theories there may be about diversity that Scripture is the authority yes. for that. It's woven all the way through this book. And so as we're thinking about this book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, could you just first define for our listeners what is Redemptive Kingdom Diversity? What do you even mean when you say redemptive kingdom diversity? Because each of those words Mm -hmm. in this, what you're working Mm -hmm. out in this book are very significant.
1: Yes, that's a great question. And the redemptive piece of that title, redemptive kingdom diversity is very important. So at a very basic level, what I mean is that from Genesis to Revelation, God has always promised to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. Adam and Eve were created in harmony with God. They were created as human beings who were reconciled to God and to each other, and they were also reconciled to creation. But when sin entered creation, that sin caused everything that God intended to be to be broken. And God, therefore, brings judgment upon the man and the woman. He brings judgment upon the ground. And humanity's relationship with God is also broken. But God also gives us the promise as he's giving us also judgment in Genesis chapter 3, that he's going to crush the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And that means, I think, as I've traced it throughout the Bible, that God's going to vertically restore humanity's relationship with God. He's going to horizontally restore humanity's relationship with one another. He's going to cosmically restore the entire creation, regenerating the creation, bringing about a, a, a new heavens and a new earth. And God also anticipates before sin entered creation, that there would be a diversity of human beings flowing out of the offspring of Adam and Eve. When he tells Adam and Eve before sin entered creation to be fruitful and multiply, he always had anticipated to create a diverse, ethnically diverse people. But when sin enters, that beautiful diversity that he intended to create was also part of the brokenness that would be experienced as a result of sin, by which I mean the diversity is still beautiful beautiful, but it's no longer related to each other rightly after the fall. So you get Adam and Eve, not only is their relationship broken, but Cain and Abel's relationship is broken. And so the story continues. And so then redemptive kingdom diversity is, is that God is going to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. He's going to redeem some from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. He's going to restore creation. He's going to justify sinners by faith in Christ through Jesus. And all of this is accomplished by God's saving action in Jesus. And he's also going to, transform individual sinners by the power of the Spirit through Christ, from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, and socioeconomic demographic. And he's going to put us as one ethnically diverse people, as a new people in Christ, filled with many different ethnicities, transformed by the power of the Spirit, living in a real world, marching forward the pursuit of inviting others into this redemptive vision, as we're signposted of that future cosmic redemption that is to come in Revelation 21 and 22 in full on the last, last day. So in summary, it is God's vision to restore everything Adam and Eve lost in the garden to bring Jews and Gentiles from every tongues, tribes, peoples, and nations together and to one family through the blood and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and to give us his spirit and to restore our relationship with each other and to restore the entire creation in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory forever.
0: So as we look at individual churches, let's suppose we were to see this played out in an individual local church. Let's Mm -hmm. imagine that we see a church in which there is redemptive kingdom diversity at play in that church. How would that or how does that demonstrate the truth of God's word to the world? And another way of putting it is how does that diversity, how would it provide evidence for the truth of the gospel? What are the ways that it would do that?
1: That's good. One of the things I want to say in preface to your answering your question is, by redemptive kingdom diversity, I don't mean every church must be or can be multi-ethnic. As you know, you and I both are committed to a multi-ethnic expression of redemptive kingdom diversity. We have multi-ethnic families, we are in a multi-ethnic church, and I am committed to the truth that wherever churches can be multi-ethnic because of their demographics, they should pursue that with joy. But when I, when I speak to redemptive kingdom diversity, this is a vision for which God has redeemed churches, even if they're in monoethnic context. So let me answer your question in two parts. One part talking about what that will look like in a multi-ethnic context, and then the other part of the question would be what that will look like in a monoethnic context. So in a multi-ethnic context, a redemptive kingdom vision of, of diversity would mean different tongues and tribes and peoples and, and nations in one body loving one another, serving one another, weeping with one another, rejoicing with each other, outdoing one another in love and good deeds. There would also be an expression of a diversity of, of leadership. We wouldn't just talk about diversity as a good thing, but there's a clear vision that we have leadership who is in preaching and leading that represents that redemptive kingdom vision in a multi-ethnic context. In a mono-ethnic context, the ethnic diversity piece might not be there, but there can still be a redemptive kingdom vision, such as looking around your city or your your state, and how can you partner with other churches that don't share your, your mono-ethnic posture? How can you be praying for those churches, using your resources to help push forward the mission of the gospel in those spaces? One quick example of that will be there are numerous mono-ethnic churches, of which I'm aware, that are not in a context where they could ever be multi-ethnic, but they're thinking redemptively about their mission in this way they're looking for how they can support and encourage ministries that may be predominantly black or brown or white and how they can share their resources with those ministries that are not in the same context they are in but yet they're part of the the global redemptive family that God has accomplished for us in Jesus in Jesus Christ so this vision is what the scriptures are calling us for even if you're not in a context that could be multi Ethnic, if that, if that makes sense.
0: So what would you say, just imagine a pastor, a church leader listening to this podcast, and they have a mono-ethnic church, but they're in a multi-ethnic context. Mm-hmm. They say, I've got a church that's all one demographic, whatever that may be, one demographic, I've got this whole church is... But my area right around my church is either multi-ethnic or maybe even it's a different ethnicity than my church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it may be an all-African-American church that's in a an increasingly Hispanic neighborhood, or it could be an all-white church in a largely African-American neighborhood. We could see a lot of different combinations of that. But as you think about that church that's hearing this and saying, okay, if I'm in a multi-ethnic context, I ought to at least be striving toward some degree of multi-ethnicity in my church. And that pastor is saying that right now. What is the first thing that pastor needs to do? We -hmm. we know the end point. Mm -hmm. We can kind of Mm -hmm. see the end point of here's where we want to be in the future. Mm -hmm. But what would you say to that pastor? Here's the first step you could take in your context.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I I think Perhaps there are many answers to that question, but I think one question that pastor and that church would need to ask is, why are we mono-ethnic, why we are in or adjacent to a multi-ethnic community? And one way you answer that question is not by simply at- talking to the members of that congregation. It's by getting into the neighborhood and talking to the folks on the street to canvass the community and ask the community, what has the reputation of the church been in that neighborhood? Why is it that? members of this multi-ethnic community, or community that may be predominantly one ethnicity other than the congregation that we're talking about, why is it that those members of that community, those image bearers, have chosen not to go to that congregation? And then they need to, to listen well and try to think in what ways in which they can then construct a vision and a mission that will be consistent with the needs of that community. A mission that, of course, is committed to the gospel, committed to the centrality of the gospel, but a mission that is seeking intentionally to meet the needs that is in their neighborhood. Because as, as, as our pastor always says, we, we don't want to be a church that's built on top of a community. We want to be a people that is seeking to meet the needs of our community. And I think one way to figure out why we're not doing that or why that congregation would not be doing that, would be to ask the folk in the actual community. Then I think after they have some answers to that question, they need to think about, okay, what can we now do differently going forward, of course, without compromising, in order to meet the specific gospel and physical needs in the community that God has placed us here to meet, and then to lean into that vision and to make that vision a part of the DNA of the church. Otherwise, a congregation that's monoethnic in a multi-ethnic community is going to be a church built on top of a community as opposed to a church that is seeking to reflect the the beautiful redemptive diversity, um, potential redemptive diversity that's in the community.
0: Throughout your book, you really emphasize three different dimensions of God's redemptive work. You emphasize the vertical, the horizontal, and the cosmic. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are things that you are woven all the way through the book. Could you describe each one of these? What do you mean by each one of those? And tell me why each one of these matters for redemptive kingdom diversity vertical redemption, horizontal redemption cosmic redemption. Kind of unpack those.
1: Yes, it's good. So the gospel, of course, as you know, how we define that, we look look at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and there are all sorts of nuanced definitions we could give, but I think in a basic definition, the, the gospel is an announcement that God has fulfilled all of His saving promises for Jews and Gentiles and for the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the centerpiece of that gospel is, First Corinthians 15, the cross and the resurrection. Without the cross and the resurrection, there is no justification by faith. There is none of the things I talk about in the book without the cross and the resurrection. So when I look at Genesis to Revelation, I see then the redemption that God has accomplished through Christ to be outlined at least a threefold way. It is vertical, by which I mean that God restores sinners, individual sinners' relationship with Himself through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith. So justification by faith would be a part of that vertical aspect of the gospel, that sinners are counted righteous in Christ. Purely based on the penal substitutionary death of Jesus, God counting Jesus's righteousness to our behalf by faith, He reckoning us as not guilty because of what Christ has done, because He counts to Jesus Christ our sin, our penalty, our punishment as our substitute, and we become a righteous people in Christ. That's crucial. That's vertical. But also part of that vertical aspect of the gospel is the fact that God is calling sinners to repent turning from sin, repentance, and believing, these sorts of things. So the vertical aspect is the aspect that emphasizes the need for the sinner to convert, to turn from their sin, and to be saved by faith in Christ. But then there's also a horizontal aspect to redemption, and that is that God is is restoring humanity's broken relationship with humanity because sin shattered our relationship with God, but it also shattered how we relate to one another. So Adam and Eve, for example, they are in harmony in the garden, prior to sin, but after sin enters creation, there's some awkwardness there, and then their children—one murders the other. We see this brokenness all throughout Scripture with wars and hate and ethnocentrism and these and these things. And so, redemption then also includes God restoring, reconciling Jews and Gentiles to one another. I mean, you see this throughout the New Testament, especially uh, Ephesians two and three. God making Jews and Gentiles into one new man and Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, Paul talks about the fact that when Peter withdrew, from table fellowship with Gentiles, that he was not walking in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel. And then and then multiple other passages as well. So that's the horizontal aspect, that Jews and Gentiles are reconciled. Every tongue tribe, people reconcile to each other. We, You and I share different ethnicities, but we're brothers in Christ. That's a beautiful, powerful thing that the scriptures celebrate, that unity in ethnic diversity. And then there's also the cosmic aspect, where God is, is also through Christ, restoring the entire creation. Creation needs to be liberated from the curse of the fall, Romans chapter 8 tells us, uh, that there's going to be a a, a new creation, Galatians 6, 15, Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, Colossians chapters 1 and 2, that all things are reconciled to Christ. So this cosmic aspect is the reality that God has worked to restore and transform the entire creation, which we ultimately realize eschatologically at the end when Jesus returns from heaven to earth and he brings about the new Jerusalem and creates this perfect world where the people of God and all of their beautiful diversity reign with him forever and ever. But we've begun to taste that cosmic redemption right now by the power of the Spirit, because God raised Jesus from the dead. And he's reigning right now over all things in the heavens and on the earth, both earthly and demonic. And those of us from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation who've been redeemed, who have the Spirit, we are signposts of that cosmic redemption as we're living in pursuit of reconciliation, love, justice, and mercy with one another in the real world. And as we seek to to do restorative work in our own communities in the real world. We are signposts of this larger eschatological cosmic redemption that is to come, but that has already invaded the world right now through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so when I read the Bible, I see this vertical, horizontal, and cosmic aspect of the gospel being crucial. And if any one of those aspects is taken away, you lose something of the gospel, It's a truncated gospel, which—and truncated gospels have no saving power, but holistic gospels do. So we need every aspect of this gospel to live a Christian life that flourishes holistically in the truest sense of the term. So, for example, when I share the gospel with unbelievers, my call to them is turn from your sin, give your life to Jesus. It's a vertical call, if you will. But when unbelievers give their lives to Christ— Here's the aspect of that announcement that I began to say. Now, it is love one another, walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is redemptive, right? Jesus died, Galatians 3.13. To give us the Spirit, Galatians 3:14, Galatians 5:16, walk in the Spirit. And if you don't walk in the Spirit, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Galatians 5:13 and 14, love one another. So this Spirit and power love that the New Testament authors exhort us to do on numerous occasions is only something that we can do, and we are able to do because of God's vertical, horizontal, and cosmic redemption in Jesus. And without each of those components, we are not walking in the fullness of God's redemptive promises it's a truncated gospel and the gospel in all of its fullness is the power of god and the salvation for everyone who believes to the jew first and also for for the greek
0: Well, as you can see, you will definitely want to get this book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity. You can already pre-order it at all the places that you pre-order books, including Amazon.com and other places. But this is Redemptive Kingdom Diversity from Baker Academic. And so make sure and pre-order the book, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity from Baker Academic today. Thank you so much, Jarvis Williams, for being on the program today. Thank you. Well, welcome to the last episode of season two of Three Chords and the Truth, the Apologetics podcast. And Garrick and I are here basically without any script whatsoever, without any plan whatsoever, without anything whatsoever other than the microphones in front of us and one another here in the room together talking about what's going on in our lives right now, (laughs) what has gone on in the past year, and what's going to come next in Three Chords and the
2: Truth. The Apologetics Podcast. I'm wondering if folks even knew that we had seasons, right? Like if they even technically knew that we were in. Ah, uh, season two, which would necessitate an end, a final episode of season two. Well, if you didn't before, you do now, I guess. Now you know. There is a season three coming, and there has been a season two. And if
0: you didn't know, there was also, back long in the past, there was a season one, believe it or not. Yeah, it seems as well. like
2: seems like forever ago.
0: <laughs> it does. It does. All right. So let's start by asking this question, and it's simply this. What classic rock song has this year been like for you? So I think let's start off by talking about this. So you did this all the time, throwing a question in that takes me by surprise. So I am doing that now, uh, asking you what classic rock song has this year been like for you? So as I've been thinking through, I can think of a particular ACDC song that this year has felt like to me.
2: (laughs) Okay, so I have to cheat because this isn't classic rock. It's classic, but it's not it's not rock. I feel like this last year, really if I'm speaking largely of 2020, right? Because 2021 has uh, been different so far. So I think I, I think I would go with Johnny Cash and Ring of Fire, uh, <laughs> largely, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going down in a Ring of Fire. Down, down, down while the flames get higher. I fell. To a burning ring of fire I went down 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 and the flames went higher and it burns burns burn. the ring of fire the ring of fire There are some silver linings some redeeming things but by and large life really felt like it was in the toilet for 2020
0: But as we can think about 2021. Mm -hmm. I think for many of us in a lot of different ways, 2021 has been a little bit of a step forward, a step up, it feels like. And I think in all of our lives, there's been a sense, I hope anyway, I think this and mean this in a serious and good way of a recognition of the providence of God through the good and the bad of the last couple of years. This has been especially 2020 into 2021, and uh, we're hoping for a better. 2021, 2022 than we had in the in the year 2020. And so with that in mind, you have a new position. You have a new job. You have a new direction. Right. You even have a new state. I and do. so let's talk about,
2: Garrick, first off, what's yeah.
0: going on in your life coming up in terms of uh, job,
2: move, all those yeah. things like that. Tell us about that. I have no recollection what we have Said or shared on the program, but essentially, I in 2020 had a job to start out, and then I didn't, and was unemployed for about a year. And in the last few months, I was starting in October, November of 20 wait wait, of 2020. Yeah, just started hearing from some churches, and this holy restlessness was kind of stirred up in me, and it felt like okay though the plan was to try to kind of finish dissertation and then figure out what's next in life. It became kind of clear at the end of that year, like, nope, that's not where we're going with this. We're going to move on in life and and then I'll figure out finishing the dissertation and all of that stuff. So, we began the official ministry search that lasted for several months. And then in May, kind of out of surprise, one of the positions that I did not find and pursue, but kind of fell into my lap. I received an offer and accepted and and all that stuff. So, as of June 15th, I officially am employed as an institute minister. I'll get back to that. Institute minister at the Village Church. And specifically, I am a minister in what's called the Village Church Institute or TVC Institute. And really, it's this position this role this department this ministry within the village church that feels like it was specifically designed for for me to be a part of i get to engage in the theological training or the theological discipleship is kind of like what we used, we like to say the theological discipleship of of adults at The Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas. And so, yeah, started officially in June 15th, but haven't moved yet. That happens in the next couple of weeks here, okay. here of July.
0: And the website for that, if you want to take a look at that, is institute.thevillagechurch.net.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a good time. But thankful for the Lord's providence and kindness in all of this, how it worked out. It's pretty wild.
0: We've got some other changes that we've talked about to do with the podcast, and one of them is, and folks, just prepare for this, don't be too shocked, don't be upset, don't cry. In the midst of this, we're changing the name of the podcast, uh, doing a slight tweak in the name. It's not a total name change, but this is going to become known as simply The Apologetics Podcast. And so we're going to simplify it and call it The Apologetics Podcast, but three chords in the truth is Mm. not going away. It's mm-hmm. not going completely away. Three chords in the truth. What we're going to do in the upcoming season is three chords in the truth is going to be the episodes that address music, that look at just music. And so for some of you, you are really into that. That is what drew you to this podcast. We are still doing that. And those are going to be known as three chords in the truth episodes. And but they're going to be all be operating under the apologetics podcast podcast. And so that's going to be the the larger category. Then within that, we're going to be running three chords and the truth episodes that will focus on music.
2: Yeah, we're, we're promoting the subtitle, if you will. And here's what it gives us
0: an opportunity to do that I think you'll be excited about as the listeners, and it's that we will have longer episodes about music. So just so you know, just a glimpse behind the scenes, what actually happens in the music episodes is we do a lot of talking about them. I do a bunch of research into things that actually are very obscure, all the way from the types of guitars and pedals they used in these to the religious backgrounds of the singers, things like that. talk. Sometimes for an hour to an hour and a half about this, and then we have to edit it down to 25 minutes. Yes, and well, not we, you. Well, I, I do. Yeah. Yes, so I, I edit it down to about 25 minutes, and a lot of stuff gets cut out in the midst of that, and so get gets shrunk down to that. What we're going to be aiming for, in this is actually digging really, really deep into it and going close to an hour talking about these different songs and the backgrounds of them. So those of you who really enjoy the music part of this, you're gonna get way more than you did before. Now, the Patreon supporters have been getting the full length ones a lot of times in spite of us cutting it down. So the Patreon supporters get that. The Patreon supporters, you guys will still get extra in that, but we're going to be doing a lot more in the music ones and the movie ones when we actually spend an entire hour just on that particular topic or that particular song, whatever it may be.
2: Unplugged, unleashed. We get to completely nerd out and not have to rein ourselves in right so that would be a good time well we'll still
0: rein ourselves in a little bit because we want to keep people listening (laughs) right 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 and we don't want to upset the parents but you know we'll rein ourselves in a little bit less in terms of the time that we do and speaking of that we've got a ton of songs that we're going to be talking about we were just before we started recording we were talking about some of them that we're looking forward to some of them that have been suggested by our Patreon supporters Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel We'll be talking about sticks. We'll be Mm. digging into sticks, Huey Lewis and the news,
2: all sort of of different fun ones we're gonna be talking about. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you need to subscribe now just to hear the discovery that happened when it comes to (laughs) Huey Lewis and the news. Just in our discussing before this show, just sitting around and talking, it will perhaps blow your mind like it did one of ours.
0: Yes, you will there are things about Huey Lewis in the news and our own lives that you will discover that you would have never dreamt of being true at all. That's right. Now, yeah. I will admit a couple of them I'm really looking forward to. One of them is the Beatles, not so much because I'm a Beatles fan, but because of the fact that the Beatles have such a massive impact on culture. We're going to have John David Trentum, our friend, with us talking about the Beatles, and he is a major yes. Beatles yes. fan, Beatles expert. So we'll have yeah. a fanboy, is yes. what we call them definitely and that will bring a lot of excitement and fun to this episode on the beatles and probably the one or ones we may do a two-part on this that we're looking forward to the most (sighs) is metallica yes finally we're doing metallica and several of you have asked about why have you not done a metallica song and here's why it's because we were cutting episodes down to 20 25 minutes and the sections on music and you can't do Metallica. Okay,
2: we, we, can't we. Do Metallica.
0: <laughs> we can't do Metallica in 25 minutes. It's impossible because I don't know if you all realize this, but we are Metallica fans in a way that uh, you'll see in the episodes how much we love Metallica's mm. music.
2: So season three, it's going to be a good time. Some changes are coming. You know that for those of you that have been with us from the beginning or for those that join us later and went back and, and listened from the beginning, not only are you dedicated and perhaps crazy people, but you've also s- known that each season we kind of have some fun shticks that we do every episode throughout the season, and, but it's never been the same between the seasons. And so we're going to keep that trend going in season three as well.
0: That's right. And so what we're going to do, we're actually doing two different things in the upcoming season. So season three is going to have a couple of different bits of craziness in it. Because we
2: couldn't decide between the two,
0: basically. That's mainly because, let's just be honest, we couldn't decide between the two. We thought, well, let's have fun with a couple of different ones. So here's what – I just got to tell you what what was going to happen and then what we're going to have to tweak Mm -hmm. a little bit. And that is we were going to have an episode portion called – Indiana, Jones, and the Museum of Church History. And what we're going to play this off as was going to be Garrick lived in Indiana, so he was the Indiana, Mm -hmm. I was the Jones, Mm -hmm. and what we were going to do in the Museum of Church History is each of us choose some object – from church history and those were going to be put into battle against one another now we're still going to do that yes but we've actually got to come up with a slightly different name because garrick is is moving to
2: texas and so we you know so we'll see maybe it could be one of those inside jokes easter eggs for the true longtime fans and listeners they'll get the joke right even though it doesn't technically make sense anymore So there we go. We
0: may may just call it Texas Jones and the Museum of Church History. It just just somehow doesn't sound the same. We'll come up with some name for it, um, other than that. But that's what we're going to be doing. We will be taking objects from church history, and placing them into battle against one another to see who wins. So, that's one of the ones that we're doing next year. The other one is behind the covers. So, Garrick, tell our listeners about behind the covers, because we talked about beneath the covers and under the covers, and we decided no, no, PG rating all the way through. and. Just we don't want to think about that. And so we're going behind the covers, not beneath or under. We think it's funny,
2: but we didn't want to offend anyone. So this is just something that kind of came to me because we've kind of done this before just on accident. And that's we've talked about so many songs and so many great songs. And, of course, great songs tend to be covered over and over and over. Um, in fact, this whole podcast started because of one particular song all along the Watchtower, which I don't know the statistics. It just feels like one of the more covered songs of, of all time, right? Yeah, we've talked about that over and over. And so we thought, wouldn't it be fun to choose whenever we're doing the segment in an episode, we're going to choose a song that's covered by two or more bands. And we're going to ask the question, Who covered it better? Who did it better, right? Kind of like the who wore it better, but
0: way cooler. Well, one last thing we want to let you know that is coming up, and this is not coming up next season. This is coming up right now as we speak. When you hear this, this will be live and eligible, and we're getting ready to do it. It's coming up for
2: us, but technically – if you're hearing this now, it's it's here. It's already here. Yes. It's this is kind of an overrealized eschatology. For us, it's going not on. yet. For y'all, it's already.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's the not yet and the already. It's not yet for us. It's already for you uh. when you hear this. And what it is is a ten. Item giveaway. We've got 10 different things. Now, here's the thing it's a mystery gift thing. We've got things that we are going to be sending. That may you may get a mug, you may get a notebook, you may get a three chords in the truth capo, you may get a free book. We're just giving away 10 different things, one to each person of the first 10 people who leave a review on Apple iTunes and then let us know that. So on Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, you leave a review of this podcast and then let us know that you did. Now, here's how you let us know that you did. You go to our website, threechordsapologetics.com. That's chords with an H, the kind you play, not the kind you plug. Threechordsapologetics.com. There's a handy-dandy little link at the top, and you click Contact. Contact. And let us know, and we're going to trust you on this, that you really did this. Let us know, I left a review on Apple, and give us your physical mailing address. That's like the one you receive, like paper mail at, not the one, not your email address, but your physical mailing address. All you have to do, do a review on Apple, go to threechordsapologetics.com, click contact, click contact, And let us know you did and give us your physical mailing address. Now, there's some people that can't get something, and those are those people who – have already left a review. We yeah. love you Yeah. if you left a review before. Yep. We cherish you. Mm-hmm. We pray for you. We see you as a very important supporter, but we're not going to send you any yeah. stuff because you already left a review. Yeah. These have to be new reviews yeah. on Apple.
2: Family members, too. Like Our family members can't get this stuff from us either. So, no, no, you know, you're, can't. So you're in good company. You're in good company we with the love people them. we
0: love the most. Yeah, exactly. We love our children. Exactly. We're also not going to send them stuff. We That's love right. our wives, but we're also not going to send them stuff. And so, they probably would company. They probably wouldn't want it. <laughs> yes, our, our, our wives would not want any of the stuff yeah. we're sending. Yeah. Not because it's not great stuff, but no. because there's certain areas where our wives have bad taste, <laughs> like in these type of things and in who they marry
2: because that's they right. married us. Yep. When you let us know that you've left a review, it would be helpful if you could say, I left a review under so-and-so username, right? So that's always, which sometimes is really fun, leads to, there's been some fun usernames yeah. that we've yeah. actually discussed. One person was Red Leader that's and
0: right. he, he was the one who won something that's because right. he
2: was Red Leader and that's
0: Star Wars and that's so right. he just appealed to our that's inner right. children.
2: Someone else had a username that made him sound like a droid on one of the Star Wars episodes so yeah good times good times so thanks for doing that and you will go rewarded I think they're mystery items because I think that Timothy hasn't figured out what he's going to send yet that's what I think. Well
0: actually they're, they're on a shelf behind you right back there all, all the stuff is back mm-hmm. there on a shelf there's 10 items you can count right I back there. I see a lot of Star Wars toys behind me. Yeah like, we're not sending those okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> people are not getting my Star Wars toys, but that one there with the uh, mug, there's one mug and some notebooks, some other books, other stuff there. So all that is the 10 items right behind you. You can see what our listeners are going to get. So thank you so much for joining us in season two. It's been a joy to share with you. And those of you who supported us on Patreon, we're just really thankful for you. We truly are not just at the level of getting something out of it, but we're just thankful that Mm. you Saw fit to say this is worth supporting. To a
2: burning ring of fire, I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. And it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire.
0: Thank you for joining us today on Three Chords in the Truth, the Apologetics Podcast. And thank you so much to B&H Academic for their sponsorship. Go to bhacademic.com to find more theology and more apologetics resources. And also, if you're interested in studying apologetics with me, I want to invite you to take a look at the apologetics programs at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Whether you're thinking about a master's degree or a doctoral degree on campus or online, I would be so glad to have you as a guest at our... next preview day. To register, go to sbts.edu slash visit. And also, if you're interested in a podcast that's focused on ministry in urban contexts, go to urban.sbts.edu. That's urban.sbts.edu to listen to the Urban Ministry podcast. I'm Dr. Timothy Paul Jones, and I'm already looking forward to joining you next time on Three Chords in the Truth, the Apologetics podcast. Just yesterday, literally, I was meeting a brand new person who was thinking about coming to seminary and their dad happened to be with them and said, Oh, I listened to your podcast. And it was and it was like, I listen to it. I love your podcast.
2: We're huge with dads. We're yes, huge in the yes, dad exactly. crowd. <laughs> we,
0: we are very much in the dad crowd. In the in that fifty year old dad crowd, oh. we are like that demographic, that's our sweet spot right <laughs> there. Good or bad, that's our sweet spot demographic. So we're big on Father's Day.